Welcome, you have found Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy, and I'm so glad we had this conversation, Lisa Jo, because I can feel, actually feel the joy of anticipation really filling me up right now. Which is much better than the dread of waiting, which is how I thought of it before this conversation. So glad we can share these ordinary anchors for these extraordinary times. Get comfy. Here we go. Chrissy, here is the statement I have not often made before, but at this present moment in my life, I am very grateful for Facebook. Things I know you did not expect me to say. (laughs) Wow, uh, I'm speechless. I didn't expect you to say that ever or right now. (laughs) So, okay, tell tell me more, explain. The reason why is... It is allowing me to message with friends in Ukraine. Facebook Messenger Uh. is actually turning out to be surprisingly reliable in staying in touch Mm. with friends. And, you know, I message through Instagram, too, and I have WhatsApp and, you know, all these apps. But for some reason, Facebook Messenger consistently seems to be the place that's been easiest to reach people. I never imagined I would be grateful for Facebook. If you've ever sent me a message on Facebook, I apologize because I promise you I have never seen it. But this week, (laughs) the last few weeks, I've been using it to message with friends there. And I had such an interesting conversation with my friend, Z, um, and we've shared links I've shared, you know, on my social media because she's sharing such powerful stories of what life in Kiev is looking like these days. We knew her as Zina. She was a teenager when we lived in Ukraine. And now she's a mom of two. Her husband, Sam or Sasha, is on the front lines in Kiev. And she has two kids who are trying to figure out how to manage school in the midst of a war zone. And we've been messaging on Facebook. And one of the things I've realized in messaging with her is that What connects us as humans so much are the ordinary rhythms we are all living through in a day. And the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about Ukraine. We've been talking about how making art pushes back against the darkness. And in talking to Zina this week, and I'll just clarify, we knew her as Zina. We always called her that. Um, She goes by Z now, a more grown-up name. But um, in talking to her... I said, would she ever want to use my social media to just come and share a little more insights into the kind of days they're living these days, like do a day in the life? And she didn't have to and only if she wanted to, but she's a beautiful writer. Her communication about Ukraine has been really powerful, and I wanted so much to amplify her story. And she wrote back to me and said, well, I don't know, like we get up, we make coffee, we have breakfast, we do school, we take shelter if we need to from air raids. I help the kids to try to keep some semblance of a normal rhythm. We go to bed, I wake up. It's boring, Lisa. It's just boring. (laughs) I don't know if anyone wants to see that. (laughs) And I laughed because, of course, my mission statement is there is no boring in the ordinary. In fact, it's the ordinary moments that root us really deeply and connect us as humans. And I said to her, no, Zena, that's the whole point. All of us are living very similar patterns over here, just not interrupted by war. And it's war that reminds us how sacred those patterns are. And so it got me thinking about these ordinary rhythms we're all living that in many ways are like anchors, right, in our days, 
as we try to make sense of whatever the difficult thing is we're walking through, and we're not in a war, but there are people walking through explosions of chemotherapy, or a close friend of mine had a mastectomy this week, or others who are recovering from divorce or addiction, or the loss of a child, like there is always some hard thing that is exploding around us or in our own lives. And so the last few weeks, I've really been thinking more about what are the anchors of ordinary life that ground us in the midst of those very turbulent, explosive times. Mm-hmm. I like that metaphor of an anchor. I like that a lot um, because... It's like it's the thing that helps <laughs> root you, hold you, <laughs> keep you still, all the things we need. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. And I think um, I'm realizing there are those things in my day-to-day life right now, but I hadn't, hadn't quite appreciated their anchoring abilities because the truth is, so for me here now in March in Pennsylvania, I'm aware, more aware, as many are, um, of my blessings, aware that um, it's a great gift to be living in a country that isn't at war and there aren't those um, immediate threats. But at the same time, this end of winter, March time is really bleak (laughs) and brown and there's there's not a lot day to day of the kind of things that normally fill me up, right? Like beautiful things. So, you know, in summer, I can have a terrible day, but there are flowers, right? I mean, that helps a lot. <laughs> it helps me a lot. And right now there, there aren't those things. Um, and yet if I really think, okay, well, I'm doing something. So, okay, Christy, I'm, I wake up. I, you know, so there are the, the usual like rhythms of the day. Um, you know, that are still there, getting up, drinking that first cup of coffee, which let's just all pause and say, what is it about the first cup? So I drink maybe two or three cups, but wow, that first cup, right? Like it's, it's a treasure. So there's those ordinary things, but um, honestly, I'm doing a lot these days um, to prepare for spring and especially to prepare the garden. And that's what March looks like for me every year. So I'm picking up some of the my usual march rhythms um of seed starting and and other things i can i can mention um but it's it's they aren't making today better but the, the things i need to do today in order to be prepared for the spring i want to have and the summer so so it's interesting to think of those also as anchors they're anchors in this time and place in this moment in the year and even though they don't seem like much, like starting seeds sometimes kind of feels like a hassle and it's really messy. And I, I, I do it in my kitchen, which maybe is sort of crazy, but it means I get like soil everywhere. <laughs> I don't know. So it's, you know, so I don't always think like, oh, yay, let me dig out all my supplies and start a bunch of seeds. Like sometimes I feel that way, but mostly I just feel like, oh, gosh, let me just get this done, you know. And yet this is a good anchor right now. Um And it is, it's the thing that's going to like pull me and carry me towards something really good. So, yeah, I think if, I don't know, it'd be fun, Lisa, Joe, you and I just to go back and forth and say, kind of go through our days. Okay, what what are these, these ordinary daily anchors for us right now in this particular time of winter turning into spring, Lent, leading us to Easter and so on? Yeah, I, I agree. I think no matter where you are in the world, no matter what's happening in your life, 
we are all of us looking at things that anchor us right now. And it's worth paying attention to them. That's what we always try and do here. Slow down enough to pay attention to the extra in the ordinary. Zena herself shared pictures of herself making coffee and making bread. It's funny how those things can anchor us. And she also talked about how they're kind of in a Noah's Ark bunker right now because they have her cat and her mom's cat and a neighbor's rat, I guess. That's a pet. Oh, no. It's a pet rat. <laughs> and then she shared a picture of actually the cat and the rat quite close to each other and talking about them all getting along and the kids have all these animals and how ordinary, right? There's nothing more ordinary mm-hmm. than a rat, but there's nothing more extraordinary than having to be in a bunker. So... It is these ordinary things that somehow are touchstones and anchors for us. So yeah, listeners, I hope you're thinking of what it is as we share what ours are that anchor us. And um, I think I will just say one of the things I have on my lap right now is a very, very soft, cozy, fuzzy blanket. And I never sit at this desk without a blanket on my lap like a grandma (laughs) all winter long. I mean, come summer, I won't have it. But I have had this blanket with me now since like October. And here we are in March. So there's something about this blanket. It is so soothing and tactile. I love how it looks. It's a light cream color. And I have a dark blue sort of old school office leather chair. And even when I leave in the evenings, I drape the blanket over the back of the chair. And so you have the dark navy chair and the cream blanket and the blue bookshelves. And aesthetically, it's so pleasing to me to see the blanket and the chair. But it's also so snuggly. And it it reminds me, I guess, of the impact our bodies carry in the world. Like we are embodied creatures. Christ came and lived in a body. He had aching, sore muscles. He lay down at night. He probably had uncomfortable sleeping on bumpy, rocky ground. He had to go to the bathroom. He drank water. There's this reminder that these things that comfort my body are somehow providing some tangible comfort to the soul that inhabits this body which is a lot to put on a blankie, but for some reason it has that effect on me. <laughs> and calling it blankie. <laughs> I know, I, I did that on purpose. <laughs> yeah, I think of like Linus and right, the, the old Peanuts right. cartoons, Linus with his blankie. Oh, that's good. Well, I, I yeah, I started to mention the, the big one for my days right now, which is seed starting for the spring and summer garden. But it reminds me that my mom sent me, um, she forwarded uh, someone's post. So my, I think I mentioned in an earlier episode that my parents have spent time in Ukraine and have a lot of friends there who are doing, you know, very um, just Christian ministry in that country. And um, so they're very connected to certain communities there. And so she's been sharing a lot of stories and photos from, from their friends there. And But one she passed on to me in particular was from a friend of hers um, who was talking about how she and some neighbors are starting their seeds. So I think it was a picture of her husband or someone who had gone to the store to get some basil seeds in particular. And the, in the photo, she was showing that the whole section of tomato seeds was... Um, uh, empty, like it was, really? uh, had been sold purchased out? or whatever. Yeah, like everyone had made a rush on the tomato seed. So it, it to me, it gave. So you know, sometimes the, we, I think we've all seen these pictures from a war zone that are maybe showing us like what's available in the stores, what isn't. Here's 
you know, you know, things that are lacking or were familiar, like from pandemic times, I know we would trade photos of like, oh my goodness, here's the toilet paper aisle. There's right. no toilet paper on the right. shelf, right? And and that's always like a sad, it's like, oh no, it's a, like an image of deprivation. And, right. But there was something about seeing those empty shelves where the tomato seeds were that was the opposite that felt like, oh, all those seeds were purchased and now you know, we pray they're going to be planted and we pray that they're going to grow. And somehow it was like a very hopeful image, but also, you know, just heartbreaking. But like you and your friend, um, it felt like a connection, like, oh my goodness, that's exactly what I'm doing these days. Um, I haven't yet started my basil or tomato. It's a little bit early, but in the next couple of weeks, that's what I, I'm going to be doing. Um, pulling out the soil, pulling out my little trays and and starting those seeds. And I mean, what what more like hopeful, even defiant <laughs> action really could there be than um, sowing seeds that you intend to care for and plant out? And I don't know, I've been sharing this in various places lately that just my realization that, you know, I, I know that gardening matters, but to remember again that it, it, um, quite directly, I think, pushes against um, war, essentially. You know, war is an unmaking and gardening is a making, as we shared in past episodes. Um, And so, even though my seed seed starting right now feels a little tedious and a little messy and it's very small and I can't yet see any real fruits of that labor, (laughs) um, it is, you know, my my effort now to say I'm I'm preparing for for something better. I'm preparing for spring. I'm preparing for summer, and um, looking. F- it's it's about anticipation. Yeah. So it's just a it, it's a rhythm, an ordinary rhythm of anticipation for me right now. I like that the ordinary rhythm of anticipation, which is a much better way to phrase the word waiting, because waiting yeah, is just yeah. what seems hopeless. It seems without hope. But the ordinary rhythms of anticipation somehow feels like Christmas wrapped into a sentence right here at the end of winter. It's That is great. I'm going to hold on to that. For me, my next thing that's an anchor here in these ordinary days is something I got when I was home in South Africa. So unfortunately, you can't get this here. But if you're listening in South Africa, I cannot recommend this enough. So it's a bit of a story. So the day before I left to come back to America, my last day in South Africa, my family, and there are many of us, it's big. (laughs) My immediate family is very big. My parents, four of my adopted siblings, me, um, we all went out to lunch at my favorite store, my favorite restaurant in South Africa. Restaurant is probably too fancy of a word, but it's called Ocean Basket. They make the most Oh, seafood of all time. It's so incredible. If you're listening and you're in South Africa, I'm so jealous that you can go to Ocean Basket anytime you want. They literally have these giant, it's not an actual basket. It's more like a cast iron skillet that they bring to the table with your order. And these orders are made up of, you know, plethora of different seafoods you can add to your pan. So I always get king shrimp and mussels and calamari and this sort of Portuguese style rice and just everything about it is dreamy. Blackened fish, it's so good. So we went to Ocean Basket this last day before I was leaving and we ate this huge meal. I mean, they rolled us out of there. 
And Mm -hmm. as we were leaving, we then did that thing you do when you're leaving a place. Like you have these last minute thoughts of like, oh, I should just get that. And everything looks sweeter and more special. And it's your last chance to get it. And so there were bookstores we walked past. And my dad said, oh, did you get this memoir yet by this South African musician or this South African rugby player? And he was buying those for me. And um, my stepmom and my siblings were buying bracelets for my kids, you know, at the little tourist shops. And so we were trying to make our way to the car park, but kept stopping at all of these places. And then right before we got to the exit of the mall, there was this leather store. (gasps) It is called Philly Leather. So Philly, like a young horse. And actually where this mall is located and where the store is, is in a part of a suburb called Linwood Ridge, where growing up, I used to take horse riding lessons. They have got sort of this undeveloped areas, we would call it plots, that they would have riding schools out on. And I remember riding out there with my mom and, you know, dirt roads, and she dropped me off and I'd be wearing my little jodhpurs and my boots and, you know, ride the pony around and fall off many times and practice jumping. And so anyway, Philly Leather Company is born out of that neighborhood. They don't use horse, horse leather if you're concerned. That's not why it's called that. (laughs) But anyway, there's the store. Now, for years, I have been wanting to buy a laptop bag that's like a backpack, um, but I've put it off. They're really expensive, especially if they're leather. And I really wanted a leather leather one. And as we were walking past the store, my dad and I glanced in the window, and there was this beautiful caramel-colored leather laptop bag, like a backpack. And my dad and I went in and it was sort of sweeter because I knew I was leaving the next day. The, you know, the parents and the kids were all waiting in the car for us. I didn't have a lot of time. I was rushing, but there it was, the perfect color, the perfect size, the perfect price point, everything about it. It smells incredible. It has beautiful pockets. It's intuitive where you store your laptop. And my dad, I got to buy it with him and he was so delighted and so excited for me. And we, the lady was so fun to meet and I followed them on Instagram. And every day I use this backpack every day because I carry my laptop in it. And if I go out on errands, I have everything in it with me. I have it at the side of sports fields or waiting in cars and it still smells. It has that leather smell and it says Philly leather, South Africa engraved on it. And that bag has become this touch point for me of connection to a place I miss so much. It's weird how visceral it is, how it really does anchor me to a story that I'm far away from right now. And it's strange that an inanimate object could have such a powerful hold over me. But I wonder if you're listening, if there's something like that, if you look around your room right now, something that reminds you of somebody that you love or a place you've been or something you long for. But there are these so-called ordinary objects that tell stories much bigger than their shape or size or weight. And I think it's the stories more than the object that anchor me. Hmm. I love, too, that it anchors you in the here and now, like the right now, right where you are, but also in your home country and right. the place that you love. It's like it's it's doing like extra anchoring work or something. <laughs> Well, let me see. Thinking through my day, these ordinary rhythms, after that first cup of coffee, um, I do always try to sit in my chair and read a little something more devotional, have a little prayer time. I admit, like, I think this season, uh, it's busy work-wise, so I'm just more tired and there's a lot more going on. and, And so, I just haven't had energy for, like, 
aggressive, ambitious new <laughs> like plans for for you know devotionals or prayer time. Um, but because it is Lent, um, I have sort of cracked open um, a new book and also an old familiar book. So again, you know, I was saying with the seed starting, it's like this isn't an everyday year round ordinary rhythm, but it is my every March rhythm, right? And the same with with um, devotional reading is, you know, whether it's Advent or Lent, um, I have books on my shelf that like that is the one time of year where it is appropriate. And it does feel really good to go back to say, oh, this time has come and to look at that shelf and to see what's there. And um, so I picked up again just recently um, an old book by Phyllis Tickle. She has um, a series of, um, what are they called? They're called like, there's four little books, one, I think, one for each season. And they're all just little books of essays based on her, their family farm that they had in, um, they called it the Farm at Lucy. I think Lucy hmm. was the name of the town, Lucy, Tennessee or something. So these little Farm at Lucy books, but um, they're just little collections of essays kind of coming out of their farm life and family life, but rooted in that season. So I I realized, oh, I don't even know if I read her Linton, her springtime stories last spring. So maybe it's been a couple of years. So it was really like, oh yeah, I, I'm excited to open that up again. So just as a really gentle, easy, like nothing too demanding. It, it doesn't, I mean, you know, Lisa Joe, like some, some devotionals, and again, sometimes I really want this, like they have a lot of questions, they have right. a lot of prompts, they right. have like, you've got to pray some certain prayer. Like this is not that, right. it's just a little story. <laughs> and for whatever reason, I think that's just exactly what I need right now in the mornings when I'm so tired. But I've also a few times in the evening, actually after dinner, opened up a new book, um, which is by a mutual friend of ours, Lisa Joe. Um, Tish Oxenreiter has a new devotional book out for Lent called Bitter and Sweet. And um, and it is a little little more involved. It has more of a story, but but again, it's not too much. It's just right. Um, it has a little story. It has a couple, just maybe even one little question of one very short little prayer. I really love that it has a song you can play at the end. I just pull it up like on Spotify oh, on my wow. phone, and you can kind of end with that song. Um, but I have done it at the dinner table a few times with the whole family. And, you know, I have teenagers. They're never excited about me, like, pulling out a book at the table. But we've done it a couple times, and it's it's been just right. Like, it's a good—and I have, you know, a younger kid, too. So it, it's a book that can work for grownups, kids, whatever. It's really well done in that sense. So those are just two two little books that— um, that, yeah, they're they're just kind of gentle anchors for me right now um, in this Lenten season as we, and again, it's about anticipation, it's about preparation, um, but the anticipation and the preparation is for Easter and for, you know, welcoming that resurrection story. I like that you talk about some gentle rhythms that don't require too much of us and something new and something old. I will share two of mine um, in terms of yours were books. I have one that's a TV show and one that's a book. So the TV show is new for me. So if you have Amazon Prime, it's a show called Upload. I like it because it doesn't have a lot of anxiety or tense 
moments like my detective shows I also love tend to have. It doesn't require a lot of me. It's got a gentle kind of love story. It is a very weird concept. (laughs) It's this future time, uh, although it's, you know, it doesn't look futuristic, but in which after somebody dies, you can choose to have them uploaded like their soul into some virtual heaven. (laughs) The part that's really (laughs) funny is they're constantly marketing like you can upgrade the version of heaven that your person is in. (laughs) So whether they have all of the taste in their mouth for the different flavors of something or not might depend on how much you've paid for their experience of heaven. Um, But it's quirky and funny and it's It's a way of thinking about death, I think, that has felt for me helpful, not because I believe we will be uploaded, but it's made me think more about relationships and how do we feel about them. And it's this really interesting tension of the people who haven't died, who are now in some ways still paying for, providing and caring for those who have died. Like even after death, you're not released from being responsible for them. It's quirky and unexpected. It's by Greg Daniels, um, who did The Office and Parks and Rec. So it's, you know, it's kind of in that vibe, a little tongue in cheek. Um, But I've really enjoyed it. And Pete and I are watching it together. And I was thinking about it because season two just got released. So it's called Upload. And, uh, And then the second thing, so that's the new ordinary familiar rhythm for me. But um, an older one is I've got back to picking up fiction books that originated on my mom's bookshelves. So she had a collection by an author I've talked about before. His name is Dick Francis. He was a British racing jockey. He did um, both flat racing as well as the big jump racing. And um, he writes these books. And I think I love them because The heroes are not heroic in the way that we think of heroes today. They are not a Marvel character. They're not superhuman. They're always very, very ordinary and usually almost unexpectedly thrust into a moment that requires heroism. And I love that about them. They are your average Joes who end up in completely unaverage situations. They are afraid, and yet they choose to do the right thing that is usually the hard thing that has a cost to themselves. They are detective novels. They're standalones. It's not a series. But whenever you pick one up, it's really comforting because you know you're going to meet somebody who faces a very difficult trial in the middle of like an ordinary Wednesday and has to figure out how do I move through this? Am I up for this? Can I do the right thing in this situation? They're great mysteries. They're well-written. And I mean, he must have written over 30 or 40 books. So Dick Francis, we'll link him in the show notes too, because sometimes in the middle of our ordinary days when we don't feel brave either, we have to be reminded that getting up in the morning and putting your shoes on and advocating for your kids or your sick spouse or family abroad or lending your platform to somebody else or taking time out to serve at church. Like these are actually acts of extraordinary courage in the middle of hard times when really all we want to do is stay in bed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, You know, actually, I wasn't going to mention this, Lisa Joe, but you, you describing these books you're, you're reading made me realize, oh, I am in the middle of, uh, I guess, a series or, yeah. uh, And, 
something I had thought I had read all of them, and then I realized I hadn't. And so Ooh, now best, I'm like, that's, that's just what I'm. That happens. It, it is. It is. So I mean, our readers will will know these are very familiar old books. So the Lord Peter Whimsy Mysteries by Dorothy Sayers. They're classics of like golden age of mystery. I've always loved them. I thought I had. I just thought I had read them all. I don't know. Um, and I especially thought I had read some of the Lord Peter Whimsy books feature um, two characters, Lord Peter and Harriet Vane, who is herself a mystery novel writer. And she's a great character, and their relationship is so much fun. And I really thought I had read those. But then, for whatever reason, I picked up the first one that features both of them, realized I hadn't read it, devoured it, and then and then realized, gosh, I don't think I've read the the Peter Harriet ones. So, I mean, before I was like turning the last page and I was like ordering the next book. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they're that. so good. And I realized reading them, it's like I can know in my head, oh, yeah, she, Dorothy Sayers is like so smart and so good at what she does. And her mysteries are just, I mean, they are classics for a reason. They are so, so they're so readable, they're enjoyable, but they're so intricate. And Lord Peter is such a funny character. Like he's he's kind of like this aristocratic dandy, and you think he's <laughs> just a total lightweight and he seems so silly. Yeah. And yet he's he's like got integrity and he's incredibly intelligent. And um, and so you just really root for him, even though people around him all the time are discounting him because he just seems like this, you know, Lord Fool or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm, yeah, I'm just reading them and, and, you know, it's just fun and light. And on the other hand, like they are so well plotted and the characters are so nuanced and rich and the details so good that I'm reading it also realizing that like, okay, I watch and read a lot of mysteries and they pretty much all fall short <laughs> of what Dorothy Sayers wow. is able to do. And that's okay. I'm going to go back and read the other things and enjoy them too. You know, not everything has to be like this masterpiece clockwork kind of novel. But um, being in the middle of them right now, I'm I'm just really enjoying, I think, um, something that is done just with such excellence. Um, mm. and, and yet it's just really fun. So, mm. ugh. Yes. Oh, I like that. Lord Peter Whimsy and Harriet Vane. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was so delighted because I also feel like I've read all the Dick Francis books. I'm sure of it. And then I was at our thrift store and spotted this book that I read this week. So I was thrilled mm. for two reasons. Number one, it was $1.99 at the thrift store. And number two, I had not read it. So that is mm. the <laughs> best moment to have. I love it. I guess I'll end on my last thing that's been anchoring me in the middle of ordinary life is something that I've you know, in the past used a lot, but have recently returned to is the message translation of the Bible. I know some people hesitate to even call it a translation. They'll say like the message version because it is not always translated a word for word the way we would expect in a translation. But I love the message because it's I like the difference between these two words, translation versus interpretation. For me, what the message does is it truly interprets the heart of the author and what they were trying to communicate. And this week when I was having a hard time, I had a friend send me a voice note where she just read out loud Psalm 77 from the message. I'll just read the first line and you, dear listener, will want to go and pull out 
either the message if you have it or just pull it up online. It's free or in your Bible app. But this is what it says. I yell out to my God. I yell with all my might. I yell at the top of my lungs. He listens. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so beautiful. Like that's a sermon right there. Oh, that's so good. I lo- so Eugene Peterson wrote yeah. the, the the message paraphrase, and yeah. I I love it too. I love his books and his ministry, and yeah, the message is is just excellent. Oh my gosh, that's so good. <laughs> he listens. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. I guess my last anchor these days is also one of anticipation and that is doing some party planning Mm. so um i i love like on a brown dreary cold march day to let my mind go to places that are more beautiful and more lively and one of those is you know a party a gathering and uh, my oldest is graduating from high school this year. So um, I've been promising her for a while, oh, when you graduate, we'll have a big party. And so now is like the time to, you know, get it on the calendar, figure it out. And so um, in May, later in May, we'll we'll host a party for her and all her friends. And the fun thing is she's at a, um, a her school is quite small, so we can actually invite and really need to. Otherwise, it would be quite rude. But mm-hmm. we'll invite like everyone in her graduating class because it's it's like a party size of you know right. seniors. Um, so we'll invite all her classmates and um, and sh- and so we're figuring out and it, and it's fun. Like this takes me out of March and puts yeah. me in May to think about okay, what kind of food do you want and what like in terms of like an activity like we need to think about what you're going to do and what do you want to do and so she's thinking maybe um we're actually i'm saying this right now we have not asked our neighbor but our neighbor has one of those projectors where you can like watch a movie outside oh so fun so we might ask our neighbor (laughs) hello neighbor if you're listening (laughs) we're gonna come (laughs) knock on your door and ask if we can borrow that i don't know um but yeah maybe try to borrow from someone um, a projector so that they can um like, I don't know, put blankets or something out on the grass and, and watch a movie out there. I don't know. So we're, we're trying to figure it out, trying to figure out the food. And we basically have figured out n- almost nothing, but we can kind of keep coming back to it. Oh, yeah. L- L- Lily, let's, let's talk about your party again. What, oh. what do you want to do? And, and it's just, I don't know. I think, I think sometimes there's it, like, it's good to be right where we are. We don't want to lose touch with the present moment. Um, this this is the place where God is present with us. But also, there are some seasons that are just more about anticipation and more about preparation than others. And late winter is is that for me where I am. Um, you know, the garden, liturgical seasons, my daughter, you know, graduating. Like everything is kind of right now. We're looking ahead. We're planning and and in hopes that, you know, we'll be ready when these days come. But some of the the planning is um, in itself an anchor and is in itself just a, a gift um, for today, which I don't know, that's just really good. It's like, I know this, but sometimes you have to say it out loud again and say, oh, this isn't just going to be a gift in May. Like this is a gift today to be able to sit and talk about it or plan it or dream about it or go online and look for like food ideas or something, you know, like that is an actual gift today as well. Um, And I, of course, cannot neglect entirely the work of today, but to take moments of just, it feels like rest. It feels like a little bit of Sabbath to just um, 
go into dreaming and planning mode and and um and hopefully hopefully we'll figure it out and we'll have a a good party in may (laughs) (laughs) it's a good thing to look forward to and we hope listeners if you've listened that maybe you tag us on instagram and share what your ordinary anchors are that are anchoring both your body and your soul you can always find me at lisa joe baker and christy is at christy purifoy And then we will remind you what helps anchor this podcast, I kid you not, are your reviews or you subscribing to the podcast or you sharing the podcast. Those things make this podcast stay around. (laughs) That's right. So thank you, friends, for doing that. And we love reading your reviews. Um, We love knowing that you're out there and uh, we love hearing back from you. Thank you. Thank you.